Welcome to Stratford Mail, a production of Stratford Hall Historic Preserve, where the voices of American history still speak. Find us on the web at stratfordhall.org. This episode of Stratford Mail has been made possible by the generous support of Chapter 23 of the Colonial Dames of America. Here now is our Director of Research, Dr. Gordon Blaine Steffi. This month, the origins of U.S. diplomatic and intelligence services and the Stratford-born and raised Lee at the heart of it. As conflict between Britain and her North American colonies drifted toward a rupture, accelerated by sputtering diplomacy and the gruesome butcher's bill from Lexington, Concord, and Bunker Hill, delegates to the Second Continental Congress recognized the need for aid in the event of full-blown war. On August 21, 1775, Pennsylvanian Richard Penn and Arthur Lee of Stratford delivered the so-called Olive Branch Petition to Secretary of State for the American Colonies, Lord Dartmouth. This was a last-ditch attempt at reconciliation. Lord Dartmouth informed the pair on September 1st that the king would not consider it. Congress receiving news of this rejection on November 9th. On November 12th, Abigail Adams wrote to her husband John. I could not join today in the petitions of our worthy parson for a reconciliation between our no longer parent state, but tyrant state, and these colonies. Let us separate. They are unworthy to be our brethren. Let us renounce them, and instead of supplications as formerly for their prosperity and happiness, let us beseech the Almighty to blast their counsels and bring to naught all their devices. By November 29th, Congress resolved that a committee of five be appointed for the sole purpose of corresponding with our friends in Great Britain, Ireland, and other parts of the world. The committee of five included Benjamin Harrison, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Johnson, John Jay, and John Dickinson. Now, with the exception of Harrison, the rest had collaborated on the rejected Olive Branch petition. This new committee, called the Committee of Correspondence, would soon become the Committee of secret correspondence, as it became clear that the task of developing foreign assets to aid in the American cause was a dangerous affair best conducted under a seal of secrecy. This was especially true in light of the proclamation for suppressing rebellion and sedition issued by King George III on August 23, 1775. The proclamation declared the colonies in open and avowed rebellion and charged all loyal and obedient subjects to transmit to one of our principal secretaries of state or other proper officer due and full information of all persons who shall be found carrying on correspondence with, or in any manner or degree aiding or abetting, the persons now in open arms and rebellion against our government within any of our colonies and plantations in North America in order to bring to condign punishment the authors, perpetrators and abettors of such traitorous designs. The proclamation prioritized the identification of enemies within as a critical tool for suppressing rebellion. On November 29, 1775, the Committee for Correspondence was brand new. As the committee sat down to its task, members looked first to patriot Americans living abroad, persons whose residence might put them on the wrong side of the proclamation. The name of the person at the top of the list was certainly at risk. A resident of London, he had deputized Benjamin Franklin as representative of the Massachusetts Bay Colony since 1770, and he was a longtime ally and correspondent of John Dickinson. 
agreed that this man was an exemplary candidate, the committee on the day after it was formed posted its first letter to Arthur Lee of Stratford, then living at Number 2 Garden Court, Middle Temple, London. We have the honor to be appointed by the Congress, a committee of correspondence with the Friends of America on the other side of the Atlantic. Our institution is with design to preserve secrecy and thereby secure our friends, who we suppose may be endangered and alarmed by the late proclamation. It is considered as of the utmost consequence to the cause of liberty that an intercourse should be kept up, and we shall be obliged by your sentiments of the most probable and secure method of effecting it. If any should be certainly resolved on, which you may think much concerns America to be apprised of, we shall consider it within the power of our appointment to pay the expense of an express boat, if you can provide one under proper cautions. We are, sir, your most obedient servants. In 1769, Arthur had written, To tyrants and to tyranny, a foe, I will maintain my liberty at the hazard of my life. To accept this intelligence commission would be to hazard his life anew. He was already under surveillance. His mail was being intercepted, which he complained about to the American secretary, Lord Germain. And in spring 1775, British spymaster Paul Wentworth offered Arthur 300 pounds sterling and political appointments for his brothers to go away. But Arthur refused these enticements. Tory politicos viewed Arthur as the enemy within, as one expressed in a 1775 letter to Member of Parliament for Colchester, Charles Gray. They might act as they pleased in America if we were united at home. But the American party with Arthur Lee as a writer have got possession of the newspapers. This Lee was bred up to physic, then turned lawyer, and now finishes as a rebel. He is probably the chief incendiary of Virginia, and he's on this side of the Atlantic. In October 1775, a rumor circulated that Arthur had been arrested for sedition. The London Chronicle nosed around the story that... A report prevailed yesterday in the city that the brother of a certain alderman... That's Arthur's older brother, William Lee was committed to Newgate for holding a treasonable correspondence with the Americans, which is void of truth. Void of truth so far as the imprisonment goes, but on the money so far as the treasonable correspondence. The rumor may have been circulated to intimidate Arthur into silence. On December 11, 1775, Congress appropriated $3,000 to the Committee of Secret Correspondence, and on the 12th, the committee posted a letter to Arthur Lee, outlining basic tradecraft and secure communications with the committee, like the use of third-party intelligence contractors, in this case, Charles Dumas, in The Hague, cover names, and letter drops. Days before, committee member Benjamin Franklin had written to Charles Dumas, we desire also that you would take the trouble of receiving from Arthur Lee Esquire, agent for the Congress in England, such letters as may be sent by him to your care, and of forwarding them to us with your dispatches, when you have occasion to write to him to inform him of anything which it may be of importance that our friends there should be acquainted with, please to send your letters to him under cover, directed to Alderman Lee, merchant on Tower Hill, London, and do not send it by post, but by some trusty skipper or other prudent person, who will deliver it with his own hand. And when you send to us, if you have not a direct safe opportunity, we recommend sending by way of St. Eustatia to the care of Mr. Robert and Cornelius Stevenson merchants there, who will forward your dispatches to me. The recruitment of Arthur Lee formalized what the Virginian had been doing since his return to London in 1768. 
He was undeniably among the most important sources of political intelligence for patriot leaders at home, and by far the most important propagandist writing in support of the American cause. And all of this from the heart of the lion's den. (laughs) Arthur's total contribution to the political literature of the era may never be known, given Apache historical record and his clever use of pseudonyms and anonymity. Between 1768 and 1776, Arthur wrote, at a minimum, 170 essays and articles, averaging 750 words each, nine pamphlets, 17 petitions, 50 personal letters placed anonymously in colonial papers, and this is to say nothing of the firehose of politically significant private correspondence to his network of family, friends, and allies in Britain and the colonies. So how good was he? In the words of John Adams to a French correspondent, from 1770 to the year 1774, he held a constant correspondence with several of those gentlemen who stood foremost in the Massachusetts Bay against the innovations and illegal encroachments of Great Britain. From September 1774 to November 1777, I had the honor to be in Congress and the opportunity to see his letters to Congress to their committees, and to several of their individual members. Through the whole of both these periods, he communicated the most constant and certain intelligence, which was received from any individual within my knowledge. In its December 12, 1775 letter, the Committee of Correspondence suggested a focus for Arthur's energies. It would be agreeable to Congress to know the disposition of foreign powers towards us, and we hope this object will engage your attention. We need not hint that great circumspection and impenetrable secrecy are necessary. The Congress rely on your zeal and abilities to serve them, and will readily compensate you for whatever trouble and expense a compliance with their desires may occasion. We remit you, for the present, £200 sterling. This latest post was hand-delivered to intelligence contractor Arthur Lee by Irishman Thomas Storey, whose debrief to the committee on October 1st, 1776, included happy news. On my leaving London, Arthur Lee, Esquire, requested me to inform the committee that he had several conferences with the French ambassador, that in consequence thereof, the Duke sent a gentleman to Mr. Lee, who informed him that the French court could not think of entering into a war with England, but that they would assist America by sending £200,000 sterling worth of arms and ammunition to St. Eustatius, Martinico, or Cape, Francois and that application was to be made to the governors or commandants of those places by inquiring for Monsieur Orteleth, and that on applying, the above articles would be delivered to them. Since 1768, Arthur had been as thick as thieves with metropolitan radicals like John Wilkes, but also with establishment Whig opposition like Lord Shelburne. His close working relationship and friendship with the notorious libertine John Wilkes, who was also Lord Mayor of London and Member of Parliament for Middlesex, brought Arthur into contact with another bon vivant, French polymath and playwright Pierre-Augustin Caron de Beaumarchais, author of The Barber of Seville and later The Marriage of Figaro, famously converted into operas by Mozart and Rossini, respectively. Beaumarchais was also an agent of the French court, and Arthur Lee's inspired advocacy for the American cause persuaded Beaumarchais to carry that cause to French foreign minister the Comte de Vergin. In February 1776, Beaumarchais wrote to King Louis XVI, conveying Arthur's proffer for a long-term commercial treaty in exchange for covert aid. And in his letter, he quoted the blunt Virginian. For the last time, is France absolutely decided 
to refuse us all aid? And has she become the victim of England and the laughingstock of Europe by this unbelievable torpor? To which Beaumarchais added, The famous quarrel between America and England will soon divide the world and change the system of Europe. While a violent crisis is approaching with great rapidity, I am obliged to warn your majesty that the preservation of our possessions in America, and the peace which your majesty appear to desire so much, depends solely upon this one proposition. The Americans must be assisted. Beaumarchais would soon ship war materials via a shell company set up explicitly for that purpose, headquartered on Rue de Temple in Paris, with operations and drops in the French West Indies. Successive transactions with Beaumarchais would be handled by Silas Dean of Connecticut, who had been posted to Paris as an agent of Congress. By December 1776, Arthur Lee received a new posting as co-commissioner with Silas Dean and Benjamin Franklin to Paris, where he would be a signatory to the 1778 Treaty of Alliance that brought France openly and decisively into the war on the American side. The Virginian left behind his comfortable rooms at the Middle Temple, and he wrote to his friend Lord Shelburne that he must now bid adieu, perhaps forever, to a country where, from choice, I had fixed my fortunes, and to a people whom I most respected and could have loved. But the first object of my life is my country, the first wish of my heart is public liberty. I must see, therefore, the liberties of my country established, or perish in the last struggle. It was his deep roots in Britain and deep friendships with British politicos like Lord Shelburne that made the French wary of Arthur Lee. But that is a tale for another day. From Stratford Hall Historic Preserve in Westmoreland County, Virginia, I'm Director of Research Dr. Gordon Blaine Steffi. Do more than just listen. Become an active participant with Stratford Hall in the production of new and exciting programs like Stratford Mail. Contribute online at www.stratfordhall.org/support-stratford-mail.